and laying in your beds many years from now, would you give all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance to listen to a MIP report? Let my home back in Omaha See if I can make it out in the world And I got as far as Wichita Suddenly I wasn't sure anymore Lost all my friends in Los Angeles I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop acting on my heart Where the fans, they always crying out for more In that case, welcome to Member Report number 112, Friday, March 13th, 2009 my family Here of our Lord, Anno Domini, etc., etc., uh, and myself, myself, Greg, and Russ, uh, we're all here. So anyway, what's going on, everyone out there? Uh, we are very happy that everyone has been, things have been humming along on the MEP report. Uh, people checking in with different things, the blog, the video, the dizzying amount of content from uh, our friend Russ. and the So much content for you, all for you. <laughs> That's right. So I you cook, sh- I clean, I post. <laughs> what do I get? I have to say, when I was watching that VCR hack thing, like I legitimately in the beginning thought it was real, like that we were going to be seeing something that we could be doing with our VCR. And there's an iPod. And here, you right your, I've read the ready. You're like, yes, what's in there? Oh my God, a Blu-ray DVD player. Yeah, I think it was right around the um, the first uh, iPod or something yeah. that he pulled out. That was like. Oh, okay. And later on, I was like, you totally buy that there would randomly be like 24 AA batteries hidden inside a VCR. Sure. I mean, it, it seems like, odd, but you know, okay. Believable. Right. Yeah. And you're like, it's a GPS unit. Really? <laughs> and then, he, but what I love about it is this whole tone, right? Because then he's just sort of like, and here's where you're going to use those marshmallows because there's a little monster that guards the thing. <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> It's like the uh, you know the pirate uh, thing that we featured on the Met Report a few a few a couple months ago, Russ. Uh, that mm-hmm. pirate rap thing. I don't know if you went over and checked it out, but there's one where they talk about um this, they're they're doing some rap about going to get this uh, treasure. D- did you watch that one? Is that the booty song? Yeah, the one the one where he's like uh you know I, the, he's some guy tells him about a map and he like goes to get the map and he he meets this dragon, but there's this one part in the scene where he's like uh you know the dragon. Blast and avast, my men must come, and he's doing his rap thing, and then it shows like the dragon devouring his men. And you're like, okay, he's like, uh, that's when the robot descended and shot them, and I'm, and just as I'm saying to Cleo, what the hell? At that point, the guy's like, okay, this is where it gets kind of weird. I don't really, and he's like going on to explain like why on earth would a robot be coming down to shoot the dragon in the head and all this stuff. And it was all, it was all very funny because of the timing and the tone, and that's really what we're about here at the Map Report is his timing, timing and tone. And tone. That's pretty cool. Yeah, they they are they're funny. You know, speaking of that, I actually saw about a month or a month and a half ago the uh, I had never seen this original Street Fighter movie, the last movie that poor Raul Julia ever did in his career. Oh my God, that redefines bad. I, I and especially as somebody who played Street Fighter when I was a kid, 
to watch a movie this crappy well, made of Street Fighter, the video game, I is really... slightly entertaining. And just to note, he was on Broadway b- b- before he died. So he didn't technically end with the Street Fighter. The last vision that anyone has of Roll Julia is on him film. going, ha ha, United Nations, and then flying across the room to kill, you know, go after Jean-Claude Van Damme. On film, <laughs> yes, that is on true. On film. I mean, it's really... He even at one point hits a button that says, like, dominate or something. Like, there's a big red button that says dominate on his little, like, flying platform thing that he's got. So, yeah. I have that button on my adrenal glands. (laughs) Really? God. You just press it and you dominate? I wasn't aware. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's actually a good segue because uh, I wanted to talk about the, uh, believe it or not. Russ's adrenal glands or the button? (laughs) Today we're going to talk about Russ's adrenal glands. Um no, uh, it burned out so much use. <laughs> Adrenal fluids low, sitting down. No, what I actually, what I wanted to bring up uh, was this thing that I was watching, this video that I was watching, um, and I guess I want to ask Russ, have you heard of the British researcher, a guy named Aubrey de Grey? No. Okay, so Aubrey, uh, maybe Bigley, actually. Aubrey de Grey is this guy who is an expert on aging, and he's yeah, actually. Okay, I've seen. He's I've a gerontologist. Video. Right, he's a gerontologist. But the thing, the thing about him is, is that he's this guy who's he's kind of got the fey British, as Clea said. You know, he's very, he's arrogant, and he, you know, no, 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 he, no. He no. doesn't. He's not. He's not. I just he, simply said one comment he made was kind of quintessential academic. You know, thinks that they know exactly what they're talking to, so they make this offhand comment that is quite condescending. But I wasn't saying that he was arrogant. I was just saying that was an example of... You said you hated him and all that he stood for. No, I did not. Okay, she didn't really say that. Um, But anyway, so he's giving... So I I saw this video uh, and I think actually, Russ, I got to it because I was watching one of the videos you post on the MEP report about the guy, uh, the philosopher, who was talking about what can make us feel better, including, you know, marijuana. <laughs> um, you mean Dr. Greg? Because he's not a philosopher. He's a medical doctor. I beg your pardon, and doctor. Scientist. I'm sorry. I think anyone who would who would make some ridiculous <laughs> claim about the value of marijuana, Russ, can't be a real doctor. I mean, as we He's know... a doctor. He went to school. <laughs> Give him his respect. Dr. Wilson. Sorry, I was just pressing your dominate button. So... Anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, anyway, so I he's also on this site, and this guy Aubrey de Grey's whole point is that he believes that we are fully capable of living to a thousand and beyond. He got that idea from me. I've been saying for years. I only claim to live to be able to live to four hundred. So de Grey right. is, uh, you know, on the shoulders of my theories of aging. So, uh, so his Aubrey de Grey's point is that aging can be, with current technology, or at least soon-to-be access technology, uh, aging can be essentially reversed or stopped. And his argument—I think it's more stopped because his point is that is geriatrics currently is focused on reversing or trying to decrease the effects of the damages upon the cells, right? While his po- his goal is to decrease the the damages in the first place. Right, and actually to repair the damage before it reaches the threshold where it goes from damage into pathology. Um, yep. And so and so he his, I think on the one side he says gerontologists want to focus on metabolism to keep damage from accumulating, and then geriatrics, geriatric specialists want to keep that damage from becoming 
to sort of want to minimize pathology. So what he wants to do is focus on the damage, which is sort of that middle stage, repair the damage so that it never gets into the pathology stage in the first place. And his argument is that we can do this with sort of like these 30-year cycles. He says when, when he first sort of proposed this stuff, um, you know, probably about eight, nine years ago now, a lot of people were like, well, you got to be nuts. Why are we going to live to 1,000? And his whole point was, well, it's not that you're going to take a pill and then all of a sudden you go from having like a 100-year lifespan to a 1,000-year lifespan. It's that we'll be able to repair the damage and every 30 years or so, well before you reach that point, technology will advance to the point where we can give you another 30 years. Like, it's you kind know, of like repairing damage. Um, chemo. Sort of like that, yeah. And, and the idea that it's sort of this progressive, continual care that they're able to do. Yeah, he refers to it as treatment. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, and he talked about the different details about that. But here's what I think is interesting about him. Now, a lot of people dismissed him initially as he's a lunatic and he's this and that. Um, but he posted, you know, a lot of experiments that he's done with all sorts of things. And after MIT, it was at a journal at MIT, I think, that he first uh, released it in. And MIT got sick of all these experts saying, well, this guy's a moron, he's an idiot. So they said, okay, fine. Then we will, and they offered this big cash prize to anyone who would send in something that, like, disproved his theories, you know, using peer-reviewed journals and, you know, doing all the standard stuff. And it's now like four or five years later and no one has sent in said article, which suggests that he knows what he's doing. I mean, you know, he's thought carefully about this stuff. And or they, at least that no one else doesn't. Or yeah, at least no one else knows how to, how to come around his little <laughs> snake oil game. Yeah, I don't know what it is. But um, so clearly he knows what he's doing. And the thing that I wanted to focus on, which I thought was really interesting, was at one point he talks about, well, you know, a lot of people say, he said, what's the difference between aging and malaria? Well, malaria will affect you faster, but, you know, otherwise it's the same thing. And he's like, you know, aging is a disease like any other and blah, 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 blah. And he says, and I understand a lot of people will talk about population issues and about population control. And he said, fine, I'm perfectly willing to let the future have people deal with the future with the issue of population control. What I'm not willing to do is for us to make decisions on behalf of the future. He's like, because by doing that and preventing people from having this treatment, I think is immoral. So that's the question I wanted to throw out there, which is, do we think that there is some validity to that? I mean, like, we should leave these problems up to the future to solve because who is, are we in the present well, to I decide what is, our future self will fix? I think this is a fix? splendid example of you know? how scientists, I guess, cannot be philosophers. Because they are supposed to, I guess, create these. Because they end up thinking marijuana is good for you, right, Russ? No, they 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 create these huge. <laughs> I'm not the messenger. <laughs> huge advances in technology or science, and then they leave us to deal with the pieces. I mean, did Oppenheimer at any point say, "Well, you know what? It's immoral for me not to try to create this technology. I'll leave it to the future people to deal with the consequences." I mean, I think. I think the fact that he, that was actually one of that was not that comment, but it was a similar comment where he flippantly said um, that, you know, beliefs or theories that there is a reason for death and aging, that it has a purpose are ridiculous. I mean, totally just with a, the flick of a wrist um, saying that philosophers and religion and theories are ridiculous. Um you know, I'm not to say that I don't necessarily agree that probably... I the... like the cut of his jib. <laughs> I mean, I, I've, <laughs> like I've, I've, I've never been one to want to accept the philosophy that life is like a diamond. You know, you have to accept that it's precious in order to truly enjoy it. So therefore, you must accept death in order to f truly enjoy it, which is actually... There's a recent book that just came out by um, a philosopher. Oh, I think it's Crick. 
Crickley or Crick, I don't know how to pronounce his name, but it's um, book of I think I think it's titled Book of Dead Philosophers, and his it pretty much it's all about the story uh, stories of all the major philosophers' death, or leading up to their death and his point is you cannot truly be happy until you accept your own mortality but see de gray actually utterly disagrees with this yes, and argues yeah he basically says that you know that we have to get out of our aging trance i think is basically the way he describes it you know like you know getting out of this belief that aging is something which must you know we, we have to sort of stop thinking of it as something which is inevitable and so i guess uh, you Which know, I think is kind of funny, actually. He must be from Britain because everyone else makes fun of Americans and, and many people this day and age not accepting their mortality. I mean, the fact that he thinks we're obsessed with it. I could say we're obsessed with avoiding it, but I don't think that we're obsessed with accepting that it's a given. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that a lot of people would put down, you know, Americans in particular and thinking that death is an option. Mm-hmm. I guess we've already... Just, <laughs> I guess Russ has nothing else to add. <laughs> well, you got you guys know that I'm very clearly in DeGray's camp about almost everything that he says, right? I mean, I've said enough things in the past about my views on aging and right. how it affects the world that you well, know but, that I pretty much agree with everything he says. But but in fairness, Russ, a lot of your theories on aging, if I may say, which you know clearly have been stolen by Mr. DeGray, he hasn't <laughs> he hasn't really credited you for such things as the nano machines coming from America Online, which is right. an integral part of your yes. philosophy. Well, uh-huh. maybe in um, the next two years he'll have reached that point in his development of his theory. It's like, what well, I okay, realized me... is this man is responsible, and he shows a picture of the tech guy being like, we treasure you, Russ. We treasure you. He's like, this man is responsible for uh, His for British accent suddenly turned into yeah. Russ we, Greg's we uh, weird we, we Spanish-slash-Arab <laughs> accent. That is how you do an Indian accent, by the way. You do a Spanish-Arab. Yeah, and it's it like, really is. Funny. It's very cute. We treasure. <laughs> we treasure you. I'm, I have goods to sell. I'm on a ship from... <laughs> Morocco. Um, yes. Uh, you know, I'm Arabic, but also Spanish, and therefore I settled in Nepal, and nobody knew the difference because um, I'm brown. Oh. Um, but I mean, now, let me. The, on the philosophy argument, I think that it's totally conceivable to say that given. Since death has been a given for thousands of years, of course, all religions and philosophies have had to find some way to incorporate death. That doesn't mean that they're right. It just means that they dealt with reality, which is why, like, yeah. I think, you know, kosherit law is retarded because it was a dietary plan for people who lived 2,000 years ago. And I'm sure it functioned well back then, right. even though it had weird, like, pagan origins that don't really have anything to do with health. But but then to follow it 2,000 years later and think that, you know, it doesn't incorporate, like, soy because the Hebrew people had no idea what soy was, so it all gets categorized as this, like, nebulous parv category of things that didn't exist 2,000 years ago that we eat. That It's just all a bunch of nonsense, and, like, you need to... I mean, I, I do agree with you on the point that w- one problem that society has is that technology is outpacing our ability to understand it um, contextually. Like, we don't know what to... Like, when we start inevitably cloning people... We're going to have to develop, you know, five more amendments to the Constitution about how to deal with clones and how they have their rights compared to other human beings. And there's right. going to be a huge battle over that kind of stuff. And similarly, there'll be a huge battle over who has access to this technology if it's expensive that allows you to live forever, which will exist eventually. And yeah, we need to figure those things out. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't be pursuing the science, you know, in the meantime. I know. I guess. I guess 
I understand that. I, well, I guess what I was trying to say is I understand that he has to have that a hundred percent belief in himself, but I, I do. I don't like the fact that he has to have that. I don't like that. He can't have some humble aspect of understanding that there is, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I guess it's just the fact that he just say ridiculous. I get this, but I guess he has to be that frivolent. He has to focus, you know, he has to believe it 110%. Well, like I said doing. to Clea, he's used to having people tell him, you're a fool. You don't know what the hell you're talking yes, about. So I guess imagine he has that creates to, you know, a little academic defensiveness, you yeah. know, where he has to be like, no, I defy you yeah. with the power of science, you know? Yeah. I mean, on the other hand, I think you can make a valid argument, especially from um, a lot of Eastern philosophical viewpoints, which. I lean towards a lot of the time in my beliefs that death has a purpose and that it's not simply like a cold ending and it's not simply a disease that maybe it's a process and maybe there's a greater meaning to things that we can't perceive because we're only looking at one side of the spectrum, that being life and not death. And like, like, yeah, there's a discussion to be had about that. And given that a, we have no experience of death that we can bring back to the living and explain and talk about hinders our ability to, you know, be cognizant of those things. It would be interesting but, to see him have a discussion with um, um, a Buddhist. Uh, well, he's got a long beard. He already looks kind of like a Buddhist. He could he could hang out. He looks vaguely like my brother, actually. You'll have to. Who, who's the big guy that's in Tibet? What's his face? The Dal- Dalai Lama. The Dalai Lama. <laughs> the big guy who's in Tibet. I don't oh, want to. Not that big. He's like five seven. Okay, and I old. Meant he's pretty weak too. Big in the. It's girl arms. I'm going <laughs> to knock you out, China. Dolly said knock you out. And he wears like a sash. He's such a sissy. Oh, can I play? He's got glasses. And he's a pacifist, of course. I'm so sorry, Dolly blessing. Lama. Remember when he came to Brandeis? Do you remember when the Dalai Lama came to Brandeis and everyone was like bringing him c- carpets and little rugs and random things to put blessings on because that's all he's good for is just kiss your fake ornament and send you on your way like it's meaningful well that's what the pope does if you go to rome you can uh, buy things for him to bless well i won't i won't sit here and listen to you insult the pope clea that's just not right (laughs) what would happen if you took a sword that had been blessed by the pope and a shield which had been blessed by the dalai lama what would happen if the sword hit that shield i would hope that they weren't wielded by a girly armed buddhist like the dalai lama (laughs) is wouldn't do very much. I can't believe you're attacking the oh Dalai Lama. God. That is so wrong. He He's will destroy useless. Him. What does he do? What does he do? He, he tries peace. to raise awareness about oppression in Tibet. No, Yay. So does you. So no, do the no, campus you with all peace. over the country. Like, who no, gives no, a shit no, about no. this one dude? No, no, no. He also is teaching his philosophy and the Buddhist philosophy and trying to bring peace and happiness. Blah, Absolutely. Blah, blah. And he hits He's you with peace. He's a pop spiritualist. He's no better than the people who write The Secret. Oh, wow. that's a little strong. Russ, ouch. That's a little no. strong. In fact, I would like to challenge the Dalai Lama to fight <laughs> oh, boxing God. match to be held on the internet on YouTube. Russ. A chess boxing match? Uh, yeah, right, exactly. A boxing Trump match which involves, involves Russ getting all pumped up and running around getting ready to fight, and the Dalai Lama just stares at him with peace, and Russ is like, I can't fight anymore. Dominate button, what happened? <laughs> dominate! <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, can I tell you that chess boxing clip that you put on the website, Russ, was so annoying. I, I waited... love the idea, though. It's I know, but amazing. I waited three and a half fucking minutes thinking maybe it was going to get somewhere. And they have we... CGI! They actually had CGI! <laughs> I couldn't believe it! I thought it was going to be like cardboard cutouts and puppets introducing chess boxing, and it was like, for reals. Oh it had production value. Production value. 
It's it's a maze. I want to go back to the topic, though. I do not want to get sidetracked on chess boxing. Okay. Um, Because (laughs) I, you know. Because you might get sucked into a chess boxing match. Exactly. You wouldn't know what to do. At at first, I thought you said chest boxing, which would be an entire episode. I'd probably do better in America, unfortunately, than chess boxing. (laughs) Exactly. Fucking stupid culture. But, But, you know, to to not have you sidetrack the sidetracking for one more second. Yeah, sure. Um,. I just have this one, this, this vivid image of a guy who's like has his eye hanging out of his head because he took some right hook, but he didn't go down. Forced to like walk off the canvas, get down in front of a chess table, and try to figure out like how to win a chess match while he's <laughs> like mashed his face into oblivion, like right. a real one of those bloody boxing. Match. I would love to see him try Super to play chess. And it's work. like he's like, cut my eye, cut my eye. And yeah. It's like, no man, don't do it. I I can't see cut the it. board. Cut it. I can't see. <laughs> Dimitri, I could have been a contender, Dimitri. There, there is one kind of uh, one loophole there, which is that you can't really pick up chess pieces when you're wearing boxing gloves. So I don't know how they deal with that part of it. Well, you yeah. could like kind of put your whole hand, like arms around yeah, it, right? And... You could stick your mitt at it, like paw at the pieces, and then like fall over. Which is probably the same thing that'll happen if you're out on your feet trying to play chess, just knocking the horsey on the ground. Horsey. Maybe they could use anyway. chopsticks. I. Yeah, that's right. Because when you have boxing gloves on, it's easier to use chopsticks than no, to no, move no, chest. No, 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 no. Well, okay, I, I meant like one chopstick. You know, they just hold the chopstick and then they use that to the the um, posable thumb. It's so the Dalai just, Lama single chopstick. You just chopstick. hold the one chopstick and then you use that to push the little pieces around the end of the other of the chopstick. This is getting silly. It's like it's like chess shuffleboard. Think oh, it's it like getting chess silly. Shuffleboard. With oh, that's a, I like that idea. See? That's all another game. Thank like you. That. Shuffleboard. Yeah, let the old people try to figure some <laughs> shit out. It's like, it's like discs and numbers. Who cares? Do you know that Freaking when I was... Castle uh, with a shuffleboard stick. I remember when I went down to Florida uh, when I was about 11 or 12 years old. And by the way, the place where I went, to, which is where my, uh, you know, it's one of these, story. I think have I, it's one of these, it's basically one of these complexes, you know, these compounds where they, you know, lock the old people in to prevent them from getting attacked by all the dangerous people outside the complex. Uh, and it was about an hour from Disney, Walt Disney World and I couldn't go. Not that I'm bitter, but anyway. So, uh, and I remember they, I wasn't allowed into the shuffleboard because they thought it was uh, like gaming, like gambling. So. I basically had to walk, and I had to wear a wristband at all times when I was inside to prove that I was with somebody in there. In shuffleboard, like, do you guess? Do you, you know, are are they betting? Them. Are they guessing what number no, they're going to get? No, but it involved numbers and like some competition, <laughs> and therefore is akin to gambling. Oh my goodness! And bet on it. And unclean for a minor. You for know, a, Greg, uh, I don't think they were doing shuffleboard for a minor like me. You know, my uh, impressionable young age. I don't think they were doing shuffleboard, Greg. I Why did you have to wear a wristband, though? I don't understand. Would they, like, have mistaken you for an old person that lived there if you weren't wearing no, a wristband? No, I might have been dangerous. I might have been, like, like ravaging, the ravaging them. Like the disease or something like no, that? Or they're no, like, no, no, it's no. the old person who's a kid. Put him in his room. No, it's because they don't want random young people walking around. They yeah, man, I was 11. I was, you know, for. I was nasty. I was like, yeah, what up? What up, old person? <laughs> exactly. Hanging out in the old folks' home, because that's where they go. That's where the fun times are for the juvenile delinquents. Exactly. We go, we go chill with the, uh, with the, but anyway, yeah. So, shuffleboard. Oh, also, yeah. To backtrack, like four conversations worth. Um, mm-hmm. The Malthusian theory of uh, overpopulation is actually slowly being disproved. Um, there's actually uh, population growth has been leveling off in the last five or ten years, and so it doesn't look like it's going to keep 
expanding exponentially forever. Hmm. So maybe there is something to that idea. But I mean, do you think, like, in general principle, though, do you think that we should just let the future handle whatever, and it's, like, not up to the present to deal with the future? Which seems rather short-sighted of us, I would say. I mean, like, most of what I do, or attempt to do in my silly and futile way, is to be a part of a dialogue that would allow people to put the modern world in a context to have them understand things and not just accept whatever new gadget comes out as something they need without thinking about it. Like something that like I think is, you know, a goal, an ultimate goal of doing the type of stuff that I do is to make people have that, that discussion about how do we deal with these things that are coming that we haven't really thought about. Mm -hmm. So I just think that that's like the scientists should do the science work and then you need the, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I wasn't yeah. saying that he had to also be a philosopher. It, I just don't like that it has to be dichotomous like that, but I understand why it has to be like that. Yeah, I mean, there's an imbalance, which is a bad thing. Like, you have a lot more researchers and scientists and people pushing technology forward than you do, you know, uh, commentators and right. philosophers and people who can put this stuff in context. And especially given that the everyday person has absolutely no clue of how to deal with things, how to contextualize, what should I be accepting, what shouldn't I be accepting, what is immoral and not. I mean, we're on like a, in this country, like a kindergarten level of discussion. Mm -hmm. We can barely talk about stem cells without it, you know, having to do with Christ. And so, (laughs) that's a problem. Is that a a part of the kindergarten discussion? Not today, children. (laughs) Christ and stem cells. Christ says stem cells are bad. And so he eats them. So you can't make any of your own because they're all Christ. Do you remember the parable of the stem cell? It goes that there was this man who was injured by the side of the road, and three people passed him, and then a kindly stem cell went by, and nobody liked the stem cell, but this stem cell was the only one who would help. Is this the Good Samaritan story? No, it's the Good Stem Cell. So then... Yeah. I like stem. I like the visual of stem cells like rolling down the road like tumbleweed. <laughs> Randomly looking for one. Got one. Is this an embryonic stem cell? No, it's actually a tumbleweed stem cell. It's a rare It just rolled Western. in. It just rolled in. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, speaking about the ethics thing, uh, I've got I got to kind of an issue which uh, came up on my blog the other day because um, – so, as people know, my first novel is coming out in June. Um, and so I got advanced review copies in the mail the other day. And advanced review copies, for those of you who don't know, are basically – paperback versions my book is going to be in hardback but this is paperback version which gets um which is more or less complete i mean there may be a couple of little tweaks but it's basically complete which gets sent out to various review sites and blogs and websites and media sources and things in the hopes that people will look at it and go you know wow this is awesome and sort of build buzz about the book that's the theory behind it well so i have my thing set up to give me google alerts so i get this thing in my email it says, you know, such and so has appeared on a Japanese website. This has appeared on this website, that website. And I get this one thing that says, the third sign has appeared on eBay. I was like, on eBay? What the hell's it going on eBay? So I went over, and what did show my wondering eyes should appear? But two advanced review copies, one of a famous author named Raymond Feist, and my book sitting there. And this description is like, this is an advanced review copy of blah, 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 of The Third Sign, a novel by a St. John's University professor. Here's his website. Uh, here's this proof, blah, 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 blah. So this guy is auctioning off my advanced review copy months before the book is even out. So first of all, what it means is that the person who gave him the, the proof, the reviewer, basically was like, you know, didn't review the book. Like he just got it and was like, yeah, thanks. Now I'm going to take it and give it to somebody so they can sell it. Secondly, yeah, he never did respond to that part of your – 
email to just right. to say that wasn't true. Oh, because at that point it's become some stupid journalist shield crap. Like you know, where it's just like, well, I don't want to divulge my sources, but I can tell you, I that, see. you know. Okay. He said he did actually respond and said something like, you know, well, that's not. It doesn't mean that what I'm doing is illegal. Whether or not it's illegal to sell these is irrelevant. What I'm questioning is whether it's ethical. And the guy was basically like, well, you know, but this is building buzz around your book, and this is, you know, <laughs> and he offered to like give me royalties like from the sale, or I could give the money to charity. So I, I put it out at a few sites to sort of see what people thought about it. And, you know, on Absolute Right, for example, all the writers were like, no, this is wrong and evil. Other places were like, well, you know, maybe it could build some interest. But, I mean, you know, it feels just like vaguely skeezy to me. Like, I, I wouldn't even mind so much. I understand that there's some authors who don't even like used books because you don't technically get money from a second sale. But that's a different issue. I mean, that, you know, people go to used bookstores, they, they buy your book, they may like it. Then when the new book comes out, they won't wait till it becomes used. You know, they'll go and buy it new. So that doesn't bother me so much. But shouldn't I be a little bit bothered by the fact that this book is being, which, was, which says, by the way, on big blaring letters on the front cover, not for sale. Shouldn't I be a little troubled that this guy or whoever it is is selling this thing and is like – you know, on this claim that, you know, well, it's it's building buzz and it's doing all this stuff. Like, it's not even out yet, dude. It it's not going to be out of, for another three months. A little part of you, Greg, is flattered, though. Let, let me, let me, uh, dude, let's play the really. pragmatist test here. He what is the harm book. of him auctioning off the advanced review copy of your book? Well, I mean, for one thing, I don't get anything from it, technically. Okay, you know, so you don't you don't make your seven cents off of that copy well, of the book. Well, I mean, of course, I understand that. But the point is, it's not just that. It's sort of what what kind of... What does it establish? I mean, like, what are the harms? Yeah. So, what does it set a precedent for? Well, for what? it could set Everyone a precedent for people willy-nilly reselling books from the bookstore for a profit on the black market and right. downloading. I mean, like people selling advanced review copies, you know, at a lot of bookstores, taking all of the review copies that get sent out and giving them to other people who make photocopies of them, and all of a sudden, you know, no one wants to buy the book anymore. Um, There's too many photocopies, so trees are cut down. Deforestation of the entire earth. Hobby degree dies that before causes, you can explain aging, and it's all causes, the fault. Uh, I love how, like, on the one hand, the argument is that all the advanced review copies that are going to ruin the actual release of the book, and on the other hand, it has to do with like you're wasting paper with photocopying instead. Exactly. I'd rather they recycle. No, I mean, like, you know, and I, I have no problem. I mean, of course, they can donate it to a library or they can do whatever they want. It just seems like this is vaguely sleazy, especially since, you know. It just explicitly says you're not supposed to sell this. You're not supposed to do anything with it other than okay. review it I mean, and then give it away. I get the ethical argument. I don't and even I think mind that, if it's after it was right. released. I think it's. The I think that you're right about the released. ethical argument, which is that like this is something that's obviously just for reviewers that they're not supposed to release, and if they talk about it, it's supposed to be in a published review because that's the way the system works. So like beyond the fact that it was poor taste of this particular reviewer to give the book to someone to sell it, now that this has happened. I don't think anything what is the bad harm? will happen. I don't think well, there's any harm to you at all now that it's happened. No, but the whole concept right. is, to, is to Terrence runs the idea is that, you know, if we allow him to do what this he's doing, then there's no um, example to be made of, of, new, of reviewers in the future doing the exact same thing. Exactly. And all of a sudden all these like, people... That's my only issue is was the concern that going by the date that the publisher sent out these copies, because Greg hadn't even put them in the mail, I mean, a mail like a day before, so it has to be one of the reviewers that the publisher sent to. It was less than a week, right? Right. So, you, I mean, unless the, it was like... The guy was like, oh, a book. I'll give this to this guy. Unless to he couldn't, like, put it down and, you know, 
read for 24 hours straight. He probably <laughs> It is like, I must give this to eBay because everyone on eBay must learn what a wonderful book this is. So I mean, that. honestly, like, mm-hmm. I think that the buzz of people being excited that there's some advanced copy of something that won't exist for a few months that they can bid on on eBay is definitely to your benefit. Well, they've also talked about that it no. can make people money. Like, when I because... become a big author, the fact that they have, you know... That, that they have this book that was an event. Like, can you imagine what an events review copy of like Sorcerer of Harry Potter, the first Harry Potter, would fetch now? You know, that's, yeah, that's the idea. Okay, but wait a second. These people, he he packaged your book with another book, Raymond I mean, Feist, which he said was would, because who you know, would just who would, you know. No offense. But that's yet another thing. Now now Greg is being packaged and sold with like a well-established sci-fi or, and or I don't know who this person is, but assuming that he's some famous fantasy author. Now Greg has as a first-time published author is having his work, you know, packaged with it. That's also good for Greg because it gives his work legitimacy. You know, if it wasn't for the fact that this guy, this seller, apparently is from New Jersey, uh, I would wonder a bit what, whether you're not connected to this. I mean, you know me, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Come on, this is like the Metallica argument for why nobody should be able to do file sharing. It's because like we're taking money out of Metallica's mouth and No, but know, that's a different argument. Is, is the Feist book also a advanced it review? It is an advanced copy? review copy, and in fact he even describes them and says, uh, you know, this guy the thing is somebody said, Well, does he actually have the book? He has a picture of it. And he has this with picture. With a ruler and a quarter. With a roll I don't really know what the quarter is. Interesting that the quarter is on the Raymond Feist side. I guess he thinks that the the money is more in his favor. I don't understand. Anyway, is that just like perspective so that you can see that it's an actual book and actual size and not like and what's, a what's this? It looks like it looks like he's he's marked a pa- he he's got a folded piece of paper inside your it's book. It's probably a piece of paper saying "Don't sell this, you piece of crap." That would be my well, maybe guess. He's, is what it maybe he's maybe he's reading it and that was was that's his bookmark. Uh, if so, he's reading it. Well, but he says. Um, the copy is in advance on corrected proof and fine condition. He talks about how the Feist one has a slight tiny dent to the lower right corner, a small tear to the upper left corner, whereas mine is in fine, I read, not read, condition. <laughs> like, I mean, and, and then he has this guy. He's so what's like, the bid at right now? I li- check it out. These two people. I live in Mauritius. Could the book be sent there? What will the shipping be to South Africa? So now I'm almost like the South Africans want your shit, man. Come on, this <laughs> is exciting. <laughs> right now the bid is up to twelve fifty. There have been eight bids. Currently the winner is N asterisk 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 nine. Nine I mean, is beating Prum, which was the first Again, guy. now these are all people who have never heard of you in the context of being a fantasy author, and there's this like fake buildup built up around the idea that they're auctioning off something that shouldn't be auctioned. It's like giving it the forbidden fruit quality and you're it's drumming up stuff can you can you buzz there's buzz can you do a search and see whether or not this is a quite a common phenomenon oh he even says it he says my other auctions he like has tons of other auctions that's my only thing if this is like a dime a dozen thing that he does then i don't see how this is giving him any more um public public notice than oh yeah he does this all the time look here's an example he's got fantasy novels by nina k hoffman and caleb fox arcs that's up to 24 bucks Uh, check that out Zayadi Red is a debut fantasy that retells a Cherokee legend. It looks like it's the start of a series. Not that I would know, never having read it. Um, and then the other one is Nina Hoffman's new novel is set in Oregon. Contains a makeup artist who actually uses magic. She doesn't seem to have a website, but her Wikipedia page is really good. I mean, you know. It does seem like he has some kind of conscious and that this is why he thinks he has to 
do it this way. Or maybe he thinks it. by giving the website it promotes it more so that they want to actually buy it. I don't know. Well, he said that. Any said... publicity that you can get is good. I, I know that we have ethical qualms about how this material is being leaked and people don't like leaks, but frankly, if somebody had an advanced review copy of one of your books and posted a full chapter of it like as their own work and, and their blog, and then it became really popular because people were like, wow, this blog post is amazing, and then it was revealed that it was your work, that would be great for you. I'm sorry. That would be great because then everyone would think – that this great thing that they'd never heard of, they would find out about it, and then it would be attributed to you. This is and a great idea, Russ. Why don't you make it happen? I need you to create a WordPress like <laughs> Russ's Good Fantasy. No, no, and it then... has to be another name. We don't want him to think. Ross. Okay. Ross's. He hates Ross's. Ross. Okay. Ross's Good <laughs> Fantasy. Exactly, see? And you could be like, this is a book called The Fourth the fourth Symbol. And it's great because – and I'm like, wait a minute. And then I could like out you and all of a sudden everyone's focused on it. And then they, they try to go to find you but all they find is an empty office building because you actually never lived there because your name is not Ross. And this will okay. be – Okay, make it so. It will happen. Great. I mean honestly the tendency for the internet to go towards the free sharing of information is always a benefit to – independent artists and independent authors i agree with you entirely on the musician side i because partly because the whole example that you gave metallica like there's a reason that the only bands who complain about this stuff is like metallica and u2 and everybody else doesn't complain about it and the reason is because they're not corporations like metallica is they How are not being different for authors who then? know that they want to cut out the middlemen but here's the problem this is, though. This is his only book here's the argument no no it's not no no, no that's not the problem the problem is that the difference between what I can do using a laptop and recording software today and what they can do in a major studio is a very small gap. Like my band is about to release its second album and you would be hard pressed to hear – I mean you know, obviously if you throw $100,000 at it, it would sound impressive. But the point is it, it's pretty close between the two things. And so if you buy an album from me and I recorded it in my studio with you know, quality, work, quality software or whatever, it's not going to be a big difference quality-wise between that and what you get from a major studio. So the major studios really aren't necessary anymore, and they've never been necessary in terms of promotion and all that stuff. But with a book, if you buy a book from me, what I'm going to be able to do with these print-on-demand sites is not very good. Most of the print-on-demand sites, what I can afford to publish is going to look crappy. The quality of the paper is going to be crappy. The quality of the book is going to be crappier. Maybe the writing will be as good. So you're saying you don't want to get rid of major publishers, hence you want to buy the book. I don't – well, I I think major publishers will eventually wither away, but I don't want to be the pioneer. Like I don't want to be the one who like first tests the waters to do – because there are a lot of people out there. It looks like you're one of like 100. Well, but no, but there's a lot of – well, right. I mean obviously it's not just me. There's a bunch of people who are having this done to them. But the thing is like a lot of people have said that, you know, like traditional publishing is on the way out and e-books are the wave of the future. And that's true, but it's like – you know how when you were a kid and everyone kept talking about how next year we're going to go to the metric system? I mean – and it never really happened. I mean that's kind of the problem. We've been hearing about the death of the traditional book for decades. And so I'm a little – I think it's going to take a long time to go. So as a result, I don't want to have the middleman, in this case, cut out, which means that I don't get any money from it. I'm not selling these books directly. I'm having – this book is somebody took this book, which they didn't even have to pay for, is selling it to someone else, and I get nothing as a result of any of that. Unless the buzz of the 72 people that have checked out this auction so far, judging by his page, makes up for that. And maybe it does. And maybe – I've already had I a think, few people say I think that it they'll does. buy it from legitimate sources. I think so maybe, it absolutely does because maybe you why. lose the royalties of one sale and you gain – the knowledge and interest of all the people who lost in the bidding who now know that you're a fantasy author and will like look up and your we'll name wait and for the next ARC to come out. <laughs> I don't know. Do you really think people that lose this bid will go out and buy Greg's book? 
I think that it's only a benefit to Greg that there's an eBay auction featuring him and his work on there. I I can't I I really don't see any downside to this at all. Yeah, well, I, as I told you, the the only downside I saw is that this I think affects that that probably the reviewer didn't read it and isn't going to do a review. Yeah, <clears throat> that's my I only downside. I think. Yeah, the reviewer is a jackass. Like you shouldn't you shouldn't be distributing this kind of stuff if you get it in confidence. But on the other hand, like any distribution at all of your stuff is good. It's good for you. It's good for what you want to do. So I must admit, I'm a little excited yeah. to think that it's going to South Africa. Someone in Johannesburg is going to be like this man. He's a great fantasy author. With an Arab accent. Some Arab. Hello. I treasure oh God. this man. Some Arab in South Africa. I treasure this man. This man is the best. I treasure him. Spanish more. Arab. The pan, pan Spanish Arab. He's from every country at all times. Exactly. He's a in citizen South of the Africa. world. So, yes. so you see no drawback to this. Now, let me ask you, though, Russ. Obviously, no. No. part of this is taken. Like, what were to happen? What would happen though if all of this material was being distributed more or less free? Like at some point, money does have to flow back to the author to allow the author to keep producing it, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Maybe we live in a society where intellectual property there is no such thing as intellectual property, and we just distribute information for the learning and benefit of all mankind. But how does anyone survive? What do you think about that? that? How does anyone survive doing <laughs> that though? Because we all have replicators and we can make whatever uh-huh. we want, currency and money and as I say, once don't exist anymore. It's all fixed. about learning and growing and evolving as a yes. species. Yes. That's that's a that's a possible. Future. But all of this relies on us having reached 2010 a space odyssey before this happens. And I mean, since I haven't seen, Greg, you haven't been paid yet, and yet you spent um, how many years writing to and a third book. But that so was an investment in my reputation and my ability. Paid. Yeah, I know that, but, well, right. But, I mean, I was lucky enough to have a day job and to have a caring wife who supported me. But, you know, I was fortunate. But I think if I continue to do nothing but, like, I'm not saying that this is going, you know, like, I, obviously my goal is to be a full-time writer someday. I would like to be able to do that. But in the short term, it just seems to me it makes it increasingly difficult for people to be able to focus their attention on their writing when no money is coming in and it's all basically just a money sink. I mean, then you just get a bunch of hobbyists, right? Or the people who can afford to go, like the vanity press morons who, who can afford to go out and spend thousands and thousands of dollars to, you know, get their garbage, you know, memoirs of being a garbage trash compactor repairman and, you know, get that <laughs> the, the garbage, garbage memoirs of being a garbage trans- <laughs> compactor repairman by James L. Garbage. <laughs> garbage Gar- LLC. Introduction by Bob Trash. Oh, no, like, God. I mean, <laughs> really, you know, like, those people are going to be the ones left to the field, you know, because all the good authors will have had to leave because they can't afford it anymore, you know, and all we'll have left of the rich. I mean, what about bastards. the iTunes equivalent? What if we just be, what if we have an ebook equivalent of iTunes where people are pl- paying a few cents for a book, having it delivered electronically rather than going to a bookstore? I mean, I think that's probably where this stuff is headed anyway. Well, I like the iTunes model, although in that case, you'd have to make it like a few cents for a chapter or something. You couldn't do it for the whole book because it would be, you know, like if you buy a whole album on yeah, iTunes, it's like nine bucks or something like that. Yeah, I mean, that's. That makes sense too. If you buy it a chapter at a time, that way, you know, if you're interested in it, you keep buying more chapters, and if not, you don't have to invest in the whole book. That sounds like the consumer-friendly model that businesses strive towards these days. But see, the reason that hasn't taken off though is because, as, as I heard somebody say, this is fixing a problem consumers don't have. The book is not broken, you know. Like like the paper book is portable and doesn't require electricity and is extremely useful. People still efficient. prefer to read. 
Yeah, like, and, and that's the issue is it doesn't really sort of replicate that that thing. Like, it's not to say that people don't ever do any ebooks, and obviously the Kindle may be sort of changing the way we think about it, but at least in the short term, people still want to kind of, you know, read the books. And so what happens in the transition is my point. Like, I don't want to be the guy who gets stuck in the middle because, like, you're the pioneer. Nobody read Greg Wilson's book, but they will I, read well, Bob Trash's book. I find, book it, I find it hard to see a circumstance where there's some tremendous internet buzz that promotes your material, sends it all over the place, and you receive no benefit from that happening. I just don't see that yeah, first, as a model. First of all, I'm you're not how much special of a buzz enough this to is. have been that person, but if you are, then congratulations. Thanks a lot. Because you'll get lots of But I'm attention. questioning if – I guess I'm questioning, is this going to be enough buzz to do that though? I mean, like, no, I'm not talking. I'm not saying one eBay auction is going to cause all this. I'm not. I'm not becoming a policy debater here. Um, <laughs> I mean, my argument is that, like, you know, you've you have two different sides. On the one side, you can have everything done through the traditional method and have it distributed in the traditional way, and on the other side, you have the you're going to risk some of your revenue versus getting extra exposure and internet buzz by distributing it for free. And I think that, especially as a first-time author, you should err on that side as much as possible to get the word out, so that you will have will be more likely to sell books in the future. But do you think that people – I mean I've heard this argument before used for music and just to play devil's advocate. Do you really think that people who get free copies or free you know, songs or free tracks from CD, if they are able to somehow get all of those free tracks in the CD, do you think most of those people hear a couple tracks and then they go buy the entire CD? Or do you think they hear a couple tracks and they go find other places to download the rest of the tracks? I mean uh, – It's not equivalent. It's not equivalent though, Greg, because the person that got it free in this instance is some random reviewer. That you're going to keep sending to free because you don't know which reviewer it is anyway. Everyone else would have, getting the book is going to have to pay for it. Except now I'm going to be sending a note saying to the eBay fucker, I'm not going <laughs> to, this isn't going to stand. To every reviewer, you're going to put that in the letter. Yeah, I think that'll, that'll get us case. off the right foot. FYI, if you're the eBay fucker. <laughs> Otherwise, please disregard this message. Actually, that doesn't make you. sense. eBay fucker, you mean the fuck from eBay. I mean, that, I think the that's bastard actually the, the correct eBay grammar. bastard, yeah. Popping eBay. <laughs> Let it go, man. Um, honestly, every author that I've become interested in and bought a bunch of his books has started with me receiving some book for free or finding it on someone's bookshelf, reading it, loving it, and then wanting to digest everything that that author's ever written, which mm-hmm. I will then go and buy. Mm-hmm. That's that's the model for my life and reading. So it's mm-hmm. not far-fetched for me to see coming upon something for free, you know, regardless of whether it's a used book or whether it's someone gives it to you. Like, that's how people find out about stuff. They don't... I don't think they often go to the bookstore and buy something at random because it seems interesting. Like maybe sometimes I think more often it's recommended to them or they read about it or mm-hmm. there's some free information going on where they find out about the work before they pay money for it. You know, interestingly, that's the argument against print-on-demand books because a lot of the print-on-demand publishers say, oh, we're much more efficient because we don't – you know, because I don't know if people know, but in the traditional publishing industry, you publish way more copies and then you ship out more copies to a bookstore and the bookstore that doesn't – they return all the copies that they haven't sold. And so there's an enormous amount of inefficiency if you think about shipping the number of books from one to another. Like, yeah, they take educated guesses, but the truth is they get it wrong a lot of the time. Um, so it's very inefficient. And the print-on-demand people are always like, ah, we are much more efficient because if people order 10 copies, we print 10 copies. But what people say to sort of respond to that is more or less what you just said, Russ, which is people don't find out about it. If they don't find out about it, if they don't sort of access it in these random ways, some guy has it on his shelf, they're walking through the bookstore and they happen to see it next to some other book they were going to see. Like the books need to have a physical presence to allow other people to sort of encounter it and then that allows buzz to happen. It's like the YouTube thing. Like, you know, why did the 
the guinea pig, the shocked guinea pig, you know, the one that's like, da, da, da. Why did that take off on the internet? Why did everyone care? Why did the dude who did chocolate rain? Why is everyone like, wow, this guy's amazing? It was all kind of random. Like, it just sort of happened. And so, in a way, a lot of the traditional publishing is based on the sort of play enough, throw enough stuff out there so the random model can come to play, can, can happen. And that can't happen when you've got a print-on-demand system going into play. So you mm -hmm. need to have books just sort of sitting around for people to find. Mm -hmm. So I guess in that regard, I understand what you're saying about you want more books out there in the stream mm -hmm. to sort of, you know... In whatever form In they whatever are. form that exists, yeah. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like, if you could go to every library in the country right now and just throw a copy of your book in there, like, wouldn't you do that? No, because if they don't buy it, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> but, I mean... If, he said, if you could, wouldn't you do that? Yeah, if you had the wherewithal to do it and it wasn't going to cripple you financially, like, wouldn't you want that to happen? I guess so. Yeah. Really? I, you you might not want your book to be in every library well, the in the country. The problem is that like, my, one of my major sources that my that these books are marketed to is libraries. So that would kind of screw me. Um, but I know what you're saying. Like theoretically, like if I had the opportunity to give a free copy to every bookstore, say, or something. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, probably. Um, it's no probably, Greg. I know that you want to be able to be a full-time writer, but I thought your primary goal is to have as many people as possible reading your book. Yes, that's true. No, no, no. That's, that's certainly true. That's Your true. answer should be an emphatic yes. Yes. Okay. Then an emphatic yes. That's true. I, I guess I'm just hesitating because I just I wonder a little bit about the the likelihood that people you know as I say that people download or take these books for free and then other people go and buy that book and don't just like photocopy it and get other books for free like and that of course is the danger of the whole ebook model because that's the other big danger of it is because it's a lot harder to go and photocopy a print book right where someone's going to sit in front of a xerox machine for an hour you know photocopying every page and it's a lot more likely that they're if you have an ebook that they'll just go oh thanks make a copy of the file and all of a sudden they're reading it on their iphone and if everybody does that they may know you but it hasn't given you any more money yeah, but as, as you've said, a lot of people enjoy the physical experience of reading, so maybe true. they've downloaded it, read through a bunch of it, want a copy for themselves, and then they have to go get one. That's true. That's yeah, true. and also inherently, you know, your book is going to be in a library, so technically there's going to be hundreds of people who can read it for free. That's right. All right. I understand that. But that, the, see, there, the idea is that if you have enough libraries sort of buying into the system, then it doesn't matter. Like, you know, if if this, if like the Washington state system decides to put in an order, all of a sudden they order, you know, 85 books because of the whole Washington state system. Well, you figure 30 states do that. And all of a sudden you're talking about a good number of, you know, you're, you're talking about 2000 2, plus books. I understand that, Chris, but run, you're still so. also talking about people reading your book for free. Yeah. I mean, for, but from what I've heard, it. <laughs> the first, point is nobody first bought time this. authors nobody bought this are, That's should be more concerned with getting exposure and getting the material out there like i i mean i don't i'm certainly no expert in the world of book promotion and like the author's careers but from what i understand they usually make a great deal of money once they've built up a reputation once people like their work and then they release you know their fourth or fifth work or whatever and that becomes this huge thing it's very rare that a first book by an unknown author becomes this big thing by itself like right, usually, the harry potter model is unusual i, I will agree yeah. with that um in fact, did you hear about the author, what's her name, Nidenegger, the one who did The Time Traveler's Wife? Um, no, I've heard. So, so that, that book was very well known uh, a couple of years ago. He just sold, or she just sold uh, the rights to the sequel, $5 million advance. Hmm. And a lot of these publishers work on this star system where they sort of, I think somebody said, I, I remember reading that something like 5% of the books bought and sold support the rest of the 95% of the industry. 
because it's all based on like like the midlist author, the person who does reasonably well but isn't like breaking the bank, that person has a tough time. It's, you know, sort of surviving because it's all about now the Uber star and whether the mm-hmm. Uber star will be able to make it. So in that regard, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly I want exposure and I, it's not like I'm weeping over the loss of this one ARC. I just felt a little sort of vaguely ethically skewed. The royalties or whatever he's going to get for or- you could win the auction yourself. Oh, no, I've heard authors talk about this. I've heard authors actually say that they go on and bid on their own book, which to me, no. I'm not bidding on my own freaking book. I, I, I'm not going to be that kind <laughs> but of But then loser. you get the royalty. <laughs> yeah, but it's not going to compensate for the money. Believe me, the money that I'm going to spend is not going to is going to overwhelm the royalty that I would technically make. Although it is very tempting to just say, thank you for giving me this book. And now, I mean, he actually offered to set it up so that the buyer... I wasn't totally clear about why he said this, but his point was that the buyer who wins, he would set it up so that the buyer would then give me the proof, like give, in other words, give me the book back. But basically, what that says to me is they're not <laughs> buying it for my book; they're buying it for Raymond Feist, who's the guy that yeah, that would, first that's place. not what you want. <laughs> so I'm just okay. kind of like, so yet again, you'll get the book passed along yeah, before not, they're read. It's not like these are made of gold, and I'm like, I must have the 60th piece of the treasure. R. like, it's not. It's not like this particular ver- book copy is that important. Yeah. It's just that's what they the people thing. don't understand is that if you assemble 27 copies of the third sign, then the portal to the demon world exactly. opens up around the books and starts <laughs> swallowing souls, and then you become either extremely powerful or extremely dead, depending on your abilities as a necromancer. Russ, you're giving and... away the ending. I mean, jeez. <laughs> Damn it. This is what happens. That's people what the do third this on sign eBay. Is. And almost exactly. That is a third sign. Oh, it's like that movie, The, the Ring. The VHS tape that kills you. Oh, this yeah, is yeah. Fantasy novel that becomes real when you assemble enough copies of it. That's right. Nobody knows what the threshold number is because whoever's reached it has died. This is a great story. <laughs> I'm going to write a story about your book. <laughs> awesome. A Pandora's box. It'll a be a media tie-in. I love that. Yeah. That's cool stuff. Well, you know, what people don't realize is that there is a media tie-in. There's a video game tie-in to this, and uh, both Russ and Clea uh, are featured as voice talent in this video game conversion. I'm so I get to see this thing. I know, know really. Jesus. Wait, so they're, well, the patch that uh, they needed to fix it has come in, and uh, my designer is currently putting the voiceovers in now, and he said he's closing in on having it finished. So pretty soon it's going to be finished. And uh, you, too, can download this if you have Neverwinter Nights 2 all MEP listeners, you guys can uh, download the Neverwinter Nights module and once you get that, actually we have it set up so that if you buy the book, and this is true actually, if you buy the book, I'm going to have a little thing where if you buy the book and send me, I'm probably going to have like a picture, I haven't figured out how to confirm that you bought the book, but if you do box that, tops. send me the book. Right, box tops. Greg's face on it. I've got 85 <laughs> Wilson points. <laughs> you can get nice. a, a Neverwinter Nights module. Then uh, there will, it will unlock um, another like half hour of playable content in the game so you can actually wow. get to places using that yep yep that's kind of awesome that's right and one of the big questions will be we'll probably do it the other way too so if you can figure the, out the like, half what hour acts... content though is this you going fishing for half hour right exactly right. <laughs> well, now we'll take a nap for approximately a half hour <laughs> yay content you get to choose what you dream about exactly <laughs> No, it's like if, a module that doesn't suck so much. No, it's yeah. like if, if, you know, we figured we could do it the other way. So, like, if you can figure out what accent Russ is using for a different character, 
for example, there's another MEP alum who also uh, is got a role in this uh, module as well. So if you can Wonder figure who out who's who, then you get <laughs> other benefits, uh, MEP benefits. We should tie this into the MEP report. Like you can get more hidden content that we have on the MEP report. You mean if you can tell the difference between story, my voice, Russ stories, Russ's voice. Then you win the prize of extra content. Yeah. Oh my god. To be fair, when we lived in the MEP house, if either Greg or Story or I answered the phone, nobody on the other end could know which of That's the three of us it was. That's a good point. There's like, Greg, Story, Greg? No, it's Russ. Greg? No. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, every single time. Nobody could distinguish. That's a good point. That's a good point. Maybe we just had a really shitty phone. I think it's because you guys all answered the phone MEP. Who, who is this? Oh, we're all found a lark on all. <laughs> is that whatever? Merman. <laughs> oh my god. What? What? That's reminding me of some past map episode. Yeah, you know what that is? That's the um, enemy mine character. Oh, right, right. <laughs> yeah. That guy. <laughs> That came up, by the way, as an example of uh, – I really don't want to get too careful – too much into this discussion because this part of the discussion is – well, I'll just put it this way. The discussion to which this refers was called by the fantasy and science fiction community online as alternately either Race Fail 2009 or the Great Discussion of Doom, which was basically like – it started on LiveJournal where all bad discussions begin. But one of the movies that came out in that discussion as being an example of anti-racist science fiction was Enemy Mine, that, that same movie. So apparently uh, it reflected this idea that you know science fiction could be non-racist when it wanted to be. Yeah, well, Dennis Quaid has to raise a little alien squid baby as his own and, like, understand its culture and <laughs> teach oh. it its history. That See, is I a... thought it was just because it was giving Dennis Quaid a role, and that was really kind of him. So I thought that was the whole anti Yeah, the race of Dennis Quaid who can't act, <laughs> can't function. Hey, there's him, there's his brother. There's affirmative action. <laughs> Randy Quaid. <laughs> the Quaids. The Quaids. Oh, no, not more Quaids. No more you want to get the Quaids a role? No one will let them work in Hollywood. The Quaids deserve just as much as the anybody Quaids else. are an inferior species, and they should be expunged from the record. How dare you? I'm offended. My father was a Quaid. Son of a bitch. Well, you don't look like are it. You well, now, you shouldn't be you talking like that. The House Quaid Committee. Are you ever been a Quaid? Yes, I have. God damn it, I have. You don't have a Quaid nose. <laughs> you don't look like a Quaid. Hey, you want a Colt 44 there, Russ? <laughs> Colt 44. If you prick me, do I not Quaid? <laughs> you tickle me, do I not Quaid? <laughs> All the Quaid ones will hold hands. Free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, Quaids are free at last. Oh, this God. Quaid is your Quaid. Quaid is my Quaid. Do you guys realize that this, you saw that the new uh, science fiction movie, right, starring The Rock, Clea, your favorite? The Witch Mountain movie is being remade. Oh, it's called God. like Race to Witch Mountain or something, and it's starring... It's a movie based on a theme ride, right? Well, no, there was, no, see, there was a movie that was out. The ride was based on that movie. This is now sort of riffing off, I guess, the ride, but also mostly the movie. So it's remaking a movie, which no one was aware of in the first place. So this is like... 
when Six Flags made a roller coaster named Batman, and as if you'd made a movie based on the roller coaster ride Batman instead of the actual character Batman? I guess. It's sort of. I guess so. I mean, I can't really fathom why The Rock would be involved in a movie that, I don't know. It's anyway. That wasn't based on a ride? That wasn't based on a ride. He's probably at least one-eighth Quaid. <laughs> at least. I'm a secular Quaid. I'm not uh, only culturally do I express my Quaid. <laughs> Oh, God. Quaid by Ellie Wiesel. <laughs> Quaid. Quaid, even not to its uttermost parts. Don't forget also uh, the Quaid mystique. You know, there is the whole other part right, of the Right. That's, that's a good point. That's a good point. How many Quaids are there? Are there just a Lily 2? <laughs> Does this involve two people total? <laughs> Please you tell know me. Why? Like Dan, Dan Quayle got so much flack as vice president because it's people would Quaid. mistake him for Quaid. He's like, no, no, Quail, Quail. Quaid. That's why they're against Quaaludes. It's not because really they're against Quaaludes. It's just mm. it's like Quaids. It's true. You know. That's deep. They were named after Quaids because they're downers. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there was a character named Quaid in the movie Total Recall. There was. Yeah, Arnold Schwarzenegger's oh. character. He his name well, was he Quaid? didn't know. Well, his name was Quaid, but then they're like, "You're not Quaid. You're Hauser." But he was sticking to. It. He's like, "No, I'm Quaid. I'm not Hauser. I'm Quaid." <laughs> He kept saying that in the movie. He's like, come on, you're my best friend. No, I'm not. I'm Quaid. <laughs> I love the video, by the way, that you post on the Rep Report where you're talking about Schwarzenegger's talking about why infrastructure isn't sexy. And it really yeah. is true. Like, basically all he's saying is just like, come on, come on. We must build more highways and super compressors. <laughs> and we must build this. And, yeah. I think we should hang, like, garters from bridges and stuff like that. Could be like, yeah, it's hot. <laughs> sexier. My taxpayer funding is going. It's the baby talk about it. But it is it is funny. Just every time I see that, I'm like, I can't believe that Arnold Schwarzenegger well, the way is he, governor of California he, he, he twice. Must, he must have gotten enough positive feedback to, to that he that that's the way he riles people up and gets people interested in things. I mean – well, he's not dumb. He's not I mean, the stupid. Truth is, he's not stupid. I mean, like he's really, you know, he's he comes across as a, as a buffoon, but he's not dumb. I mean, he just somehow he's well connected, and he and people in California are crazy. And their last gubernatorial election, it was like him or Poland's porn star Gary Coleman, and they're like, I guess him because you can't get a real candidate. I apparently. mean, if you think about who the authority figures in his life, in his professional life, have been his entire life. I mean, mm. basically, as governor, he's emulating a movie producer because right. that's like. Like the high up characters in his life. So he's like, oh, this is so boring, this bridge. We need uh, some kind of bra on it or something. Some kind of sexual. We just spiff it up. Come on. Speaking you know? of such sexual connotations, what about my video? You guys haven't talked at all about my video. I I worked enslaved over that. I bet you got, I bet you didn't even watch it, Russ. Oh, I watched. I'm, did I watch it? I had to convert it so that I could post it to YouTube. Because you sent it to me, it was like eight gigs, and it was a one and a half minute file, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, is this like some new version of high definition that my computer can't handle? It's I, like I, I could see inside the rhinoceros's nose and all the bacteria on it, like in the cartoon. I, <laughs> so I told detailed. you, Greg, I had probably rendered it too high. I, I sent him a different version. Oh, though. Okay. I thought there was a different version that was smaller than that. I could see the cartoon artists like within the thing as it was going on, so, like so, sketching so did, it. Did you, in did real you, time. Did you get it, Russ? Did I get it? Yeah, it was funny. They're all talking about their private places, and it was hilarious. And it was like the rabbit's like a eunuch because he doesn't have a private <laughs> exactly. place. 
on top of everything else, we were just sort of amazed that anyone would make a cartoon this stupid. Like clearly the people well, that are sitting there thing. going, I can either slip my wrists or I can sneak in these obvious references into a cartoon and hope that the well, it was interesting when it. you went back and looked at it because then because first Greg was like, what? Cleo, you know, you go and this is ridiculous. But then when he started watching, he started pointing out things that I hadn't even noticed, like when the squirrel first shows up. Just his tail comes out. All right, out. all right, we get the idea. Oh. Why is that like some kind of phallic symbol or right. something? Yeah, there's just when you when you you know look at it through those glasses, you know, it should be rated yeah. R. I think it was just written by some mom who was pissed off that her kids would like annoy her while she was trying to take a bath, <laughs> and then she's like, "People have private places. Stay away already. Get it, kids? Stay away." And then she didn't realize but, well, that while she was private doing place. That. You know, it's a place where I go to smoke weed so that I can deal with my life with you kids. You know oh. who that woman was? Kool-Aid! <laughs> no. <laughs> well, you know, Russ, I have to say this just came to me. Uh, we're coming to the end of an hour here, but it just, just came to me. If we're talking about all these people that do these things, why have you not decided to put your hat in the ring for a political office? I mean, we've got the MEP listener base out there to start with. Yeah. You're That's you're right. in California. You could you already can imitate Arnold Schwarzenegger, but you're smarter and funnier than he is. So mm-hmm. why don't you have the obvious sort of you know the in? Oh, I mean, if I had like fifty thousand dollars to burn, I totally would have run in the recall election, just like the you know half dozen other total random people who got some low level of celebrity from running in the thing. And of course, my catch line would have been Guberman for the gubernatorial position because right. obviously I'm the best suited for it. That's what my name means. But uh, no, no, Arnold's got a steel grip on the office now. It's all over. Because the thing is that the California is so big that you would literally – you would have all these people supporting you. Like you'd get you'd get like 50,000 votes and it's like 0.1%. But you're like 50,000 people want you to be their governor. Like you could take those 50,000 people and go somewhere and create like a MEP state and it'd just be <clears> you <throat> and them and 50,000 people, you know? And right. the FBI murdering all of us. Yeah, Russ, I don't know why you did that. don't want that. This sounds... You could be just like David Koresh. Why don't you do that, Russ? Sounds, Come on. so exciting. Say you're God. You're not sleep with 15-year-olds until they murder you. Come on. Or you force everyone to kill themselves. That's absurd. Either way. You're not going to build a cult. You're just going to bring them what to a new What else is he going to do there sitting around with 50,000 people? <laughs> It would be great. Oh, so, it's, so it's like a land, like a cruise ship. Two weeks in, they're like, but Russ, we're hungry. Please help us. You're like, no. Hey, you hear the thing about how the Quades are a race? Yeah, we heard it. Oh, never mind. Then. You're like, how about my Arnold Schwarzenegger invitation? You're like, we need food. Give us meat. Like, I don't have meat, but I do have some MEP report. You're like, no, meat. Oh. This was so funny. One of my good friends um, who was actually moving, she was, like, upset that she wouldn't see me. So she's like, you know what you should do, Russ? You should take, like, a video camera and record yourself for a few minutes and send it to me. And I'm like, I have a podcast. You know this. There are hundreds of hours of me blabbing on the internet for free. It's already there. Stop asking me to make special shit for you. I have so much material. Well, but Russ, she wants to check you out while you're doing it. Exactly. You know what I mean? That's... Um, that's what we've been missing all these years the naked video podcasting during the audio podcast no no please just talk about your well, private place I don't know what you're talking I'm about just, uh, well, but there was that one time remember when Russ was here that you were going to videotape it and then show it you know a videotaped I still have that videotape but none of that's us part were of naked. the unreleased map content coming out with the third sign that's right is the exactly. map 100 unreleased video 
<laughs> Along with the world's video, which I've asked Greg for 17,000 times I since the you. beginning of the internet. And he's like, yep, no problem. Here comes the world's video. I thought Coming I said that to you, didn't I? Oh yeah, oh, God. sure. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now. My invisible third hand. Oh, God, that's hilarious. I uh, didn't realize I hadn't said that to you. Well, Russ, he'll probably send it to you shortly after he sends his mother our wedding video from five years ago. <laughs> Hey, Mom, I got married. What did you know? You better hope I don't confuse them and send you my wedding video and send my mom that world's video. I, don't yeah. think I want that. the world's video, you bastard! It's like the earliest MEP footage that exists. It's the earliest footage of MEPers mepping yeah, together. You probably should, you probably should like, um, do some, you know, put it put it online, Greg, and uh, edit it and show a few clips on, on the MEP report. Yeah. I've if... only wanted to edit that video and like, show good parts for, you know, four years since 2005. Well, maybe, maybe now that I've gotten tenure, I can safely do that without worrying it's going to come back to haunt me. I mean, not that I did anything. It was what everybody else did. You didn't like the part where I'm, like, chasing the judge that gave I've, you a bad decision down. As I've down explained and... on many occasions, that may rank as one of the great moments in human history when you were doing that. So, no, I was I don't not objective to that at all. Very well. Just, it... like, the back of my head. And you were no, it's, doing... it's funny enough, especially people who know you and oh, have listened was... to you. It will be funny. Enough. Russ, I'm zany. You can do that. No, because we see your body language, right? Which and, speaks volumes. And you flipping the guy off with you know every ounce of your being. Right? It was like it was it was <laughs> like a think, hardcore flip off. Like, like it wasn't just like a casual thing. He like thing. lifted up his foot as if he was like flicking him he off. Like, the he like he like leaped in the air and he had just done the you know as if he just done the dunk and then lands on the <laughs> ground and is like doing the I'm a mighty man you know except he's doing the I'm a mighty flipper off guy. I mean like it was tremendous. Like and the guy deserved it. It was the worst decision ever made. Mm. He's the worst judge in human history. History, and he should not be allowed to decide what he wants to eat. They should go into a restaurant and say, I'd like this. They should be like, no, you're going to have this. He's like, why? And they're like, because you're an idiot and you're <laughs> you're a quaid. So just go off. We're going to do it. Like, that's quaid. clearly, you know. He's a my, total quaid. My favorite, he is. my favorite part of that experience was that since he didn't know who I was, I was just some random person to him. So it's as if that his decision was so bad that now he gets randomly mocked in the street by strangers. <laughs> you're a moron! What? Well, who said that? Why? 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 hates you now. Hey, man, even if you weren't friends with us at the time, you saw that decision. How bad was that decision? You saw you the raised the ire of the whole universe against you. What? So, on that note, uh, I think this has been a very entertaining, albeit somewhat scattered episode, although we did talk about aging and about Dennis Quaid, and I think that really brings a lot of disparate things in the universe together. Maybe Quaid He's is the missing lit. link in, uh, in Gray's theory. Well, he hasn't died yet, so... He uh, and he hasn't guy. aged. God, you know, he looks the same as he, he has, like, for the last 20 years. <laughs> so we want to thank everyone for listening, as always, uh, and ask you guys to go check out the website. Please send us comments and feedback and do all that good stuff. And uh, please uh, spread the word because, as you know, buzz is what matters. And, you know, go buy my book and auction the, the up. And, and that's why like that. we charge you to download this show. Steal this end. podcast for free. Do it. Say goodbye, everybody. Some things I think they might be right. Crowding up my dreams, making me so sad. Scared to death in the middle of the night. Presentation of the Net Report, hosted at www.netreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron. Or at least not the stupid one of the cars. 
Please support the Mep Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for Mep link on the Mep Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little gross. And if that's the case, then my life's a waste Cause there's nothing left to live for But tomorrow And tomorrow's just another day away